The mobile security industry has spent billions of dollars basically applying the concepts that worked for PCs to mobile devices. You know, the mobile device is different. It was architected from the get-go for consumers. It doesn't allow the enterprise to get administrative rights. Uh, it, by definition, defies firewalls and boundaries. And, you know, the app stores have dramatically changed how we install software. You know, now we have an app store that has, you know, 60,000 new changes in it every single day and a, a million and a half apps on each of them. So, you know, the, the, the techniques of applying PC technology to mobile security just doesn't work. And the industry now is beginning to realize that and trying to figure out, given the restrictions that you have in mobile, what's the basic blocking and tackling that you can do to actually help people manage risk? Uh, and there's a pretty simple formula uh, that I think you can apply to that. Has the mobile security industry had it wrong for years? My guest today, Andrew Hogue, certainly thinks so. He's the CEO and co-founder of Now Secure, a mobile security provider that helps enterprises secure their apps and their devices. We've got a fascinating episode with some strong opinions on mobile devices, security, Apple, Google, etc. So stay tuned. I'm John Pryle. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. Welcome, Andrew. Yeah, great. Great to be here. How did you initially get interested in both security and mobile devices? Well, I started out with mobile security... Uh, seven years ago, and it was in some some sense by accident. Um, if, if I wind back a little bit prior to that, I spent five years as a CIO, and the company was just shy of about a billion dollars. It was a really interesting experience. And uh, at the very end, I ended up hiring somebody who was a felon, and it was unbeknownst to me. <laughs> the HR department knew it, and so there was just a little mix-up in communication there. And what ended up happening was this guy got access to our uh, you know, most sensitive data and his previous company, he stole a million dollars. Uh, the FBI caught him and he spent two years in Leavenworth, faked his resume, and then I hired him right out, of the, right out of jail, basically. And when we became aware of that, we realized we needed to go figure out what this guy had done. Uh, and at that point in time, like any kind of good, curious geek out there, I, I had gotten kind of bored at my job. And so I decided to do the forensic investigation of his laptop myself. And my eyes opened up into an entire world that existed that I had no idea was out there, even though I was a very technical CIO. And so really, I got bit by the forensics uh, bug about eight years ago. And as I transitioned out of that role, I decided to start another company. Initially, we focused on forensics, and we were doing that for computers a little bit. But I was really pulled into mobile. Uh, the iPhone had been out, and the Android device had just hit. And it was shortly thereafter, while I was doing some forensics work on mobile, that I ended up finding an enormous amount of security flaws, sensitive data at rest, credentials being transmitted without security, et cetera. And were you yeah. writing books around the same time as this, or did that happen? How did that happen in terms of running a company and some of the publishing work that you did as well? Yeah, I was writing books at the time. So what happened was I started the company. You know, we were a services and research organization trying to you know bootstrap and pay the bills. And frankly, you know, I, I didn't draw a salary for two years, and so we really just did what it took. And in the process of doing that. Um, I was just fascinated by mobile. And I said, well, you know what? I I'm going to write up a little white paper about how you do forensics on a mobile phone. And that caught a lot of people's attention. I started being asked to, to speak at conferences. People were downloading it. And I decided to kind of jump in and say, look, this is a topic nobody's touched upon. Um, and uh, I think it's worthy of a book. And so we ended up writing two books. Myself and, and Katie Stremko wrote the iOS forensics book. I wrote the Android forensics book. We have another one that we're writing about mobile incident response. 
And it's really a great way, John, just to kind of reach out to folks and let them know, you know, what, what's happening in this space. Uh, everybody needs a playbook. And this is a space that's evolving very, very quickly. So cool. it, was a, it was a really key part to growing the company because it, it generated a lot of exposure for us. Good. Let's go deeper. You, know, you, you talked about forensics. I think we'll go deeper later into come some of the other things that now Secure does. But staying on this forensic and, and the data that you've captured, uh, you recently published your 2016 mobile security report. Uh, good report. There's an amazing, cool infographic out there as well. Um, we don't need to spend the time on the explosion of the devices, but let's talk about some of the elements within that, that kind of the eye openers that I think people will find a little surprising and help us understand a little more about the challenges out there with us with mobile devices. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's interesting is, is that, you know, mobile devices, the biggest attack uh, surface that people have to worry about are the apps themselves. Uh, it's very easy to install apps, um, you know, and you don't really know who built them. I mean, sure. People sign them and, you know, you could go check that out and you can find apps that have big uh, names behind them. But I think the average phone has a couple hundred uh, mobile apps on it. And, and a lot of those are ones that you really don't know where they came from or where they're sending your data. And so when we took a look at about 400,000 mobile apps using our automated scanning technology for security, we, you know, we were able to find some, some really fascinating uh, information. So over 25% of the apps had at least one high-risk security or privacy flaw. Data is being, and, and that's a significant number, right? Because yeah. if you, I mean, while 400,000 is a decent sample size, um, you know, we, we'll, we'll eventually just have run the entire store. And um, so you're looking at, just in that sample, about 100,000 apps that have high-risk flaws in them. And that, that's something that I think is really um, unsettling to not only consumers, but ultimately to the enterprises. And those are the two folks that ultimately foot the bill here. If your identity gets compromised, that's kind of a lifelong uh, albatross around your neck. Um, if your you know, trade secrets, your financial information within the enterprise, intellectual property gets compromised, there's, there's real harm there. You know, we have people building mobile apps. They're not really thinking about security as evidenced by the numbers. And the folks that you know, really end up um, paying for that are the enterprises and individuals. Now, when you mentioned the, the 25%, the first thing that comes to my mind then is what What's the value of a an Apple kind of doing the scanning that they do, things coming out of iOS versus things coming off Google Play or, you know, Google allows third-party app stores? Do you see a range of uh, challenges? Should people be using, should, avoiding anything other than Google Play and or should they be migrating towards iOS? Uh, what, what do you see in terms of the differences on the platforms? So there's a couple things to uh, focus on. First, a pretty simple tip is really, in general, only apply from the uh, app store or the Play Store. So avoid those third-party markets. That's where the majority of the malware sneaks in and it generally happens overseas in Russia and China and other places where they can't get to those mark, you know, play and app stores. Um, but there's a lot of risk out there. And so if you avoid that, you know, that's going to help you with truly malicious applications. Because when you think about what Apple and, and Google, how they make their money, they make their money by having mobile apps, by having a rich ecosystem, by having in-app payments. And imagine if they lopped off 25% of their apps right now because they had a security flaw, the types of flaws that we help enterprises find. Um, it would be a material impact to their revenue stream. And so Apple and Google are not economically incentivized to find those types of flaws. Wow. You're not implying they're complicit here. You're just... No, of course not. <laughs> they're, they're not complicit, but, but they have a certain bar that they need to set. And that bar is, is to filter out malicious applications. And they do a pretty good job of that. Um, and, you know, for a number of reasons, that, that underscores why antivirus is, is 
generally what I call snake oil. You know, the, the antivirus programs are running inside a sandbox. They can't really see what's happening on the system. So, and, and Apple and Google do a decent job. Sure, things sneak through every once in a while, but they, they quickly kind of uh, repair that. But when you take a look at our customers, so these are large enterprises that, you know, truly set a bar significantly higher for security. Because, you know, if, if you leak out some sensitive data, if you put people at risk because you store data at, at rest, if you, if you don't properly check your certificates, et cetera, you know, it's, it's in the end a significant brand risk. It's, there's financial impact. Um, there's a bunch of impact. And so what, what we've ended up finding is, is that, yes, install from the App and Play Store. But if you're an enterprise and you're responsible for mobile apps, you need to really go out there and make sure that you're writing secure apps. And that your, you know, enterprise, the third-party apps that you use to run your enterprise don't have security flaws. And more importantly, well, maybe just another a piece of the puzzle, if you're doing a bring-your-own-device strategy for your employees, there's lots of other elements of risk sitting on those devices as well. Yeah, there is. So, you know, bring-your-own-device is really the realization of, of the consumerization of IT, you know, this thing that started many, many years ago. But I think mobile really helped move that along quite quickly. When I was a CIO, um, I lived in the no era. It means that I could say no and everybody would have to listen because I was the guy that, that implemented the technology and made stuff work. That, that doesn't fly anymore. And, you know, we're looking at these really powerful devices that do great things for the enterprise, right? It, it gives your employees access to data very, very quickly. It drives efficiencies and stickiness within the enterprise. And so if you become the no CIO or the no organization, you're missing out on that value. And if you think strategically, in five to 10 years, you're going to be missing out on a workforce because the workforce that's coming into the market now is going to essentially demand to operate this way. And so we have to deal with this problem. The way you deal with, with BYOD is there are two things that you need for mobile security. You need a secure app running on a healthy endpoint. That's the one-two punch. It's the basic blocking and tackling of mobile security that the industry hasn't been doing for the last seven years. But if you have an app that's resistant to an attack, right? So if you're on an insecure Wi-Fi, if, if somebody at a border crossings does forensics against your phone, but there's no sensitive data at risk, you're in pretty good shape. Now, if the phone is jailbroken, if it, if it has known security flaws and you haven't updated it, if it doesn't have a passcode, you know, all of those things impact the health of the device. So if you have a secure app running on a healthy device, you can operate with mobile with a lot of confidence. And, and that's where the industry needs to move. And you mentioned the, you know, the insecure Wi-Fi. So what, what, what's your view then in terms of protecting credentials, making sure uh, these apps are encrypted? Do you think that's a critical piece in terms of encrypting data over the wire? Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think anybody should be sending data over the wire. There's, I mean, you could kind of caveat that a little bit, right? So, you know, if you're reading a news article, perhaps, but honestly, I don't think so. I think all, all apps should basically be using TLS, should be using encryption. And there's a, a really great uh, initiative out there called letsencrypt.org. They've got enormous traction. And, you know, their, their thing is, is everybody should have SSL on their websites. And certainly every mobile app should have it as well. Very, very sensitive data is transmitted geolocation, usernames and passwords, IMEI. And um, that needs to be protected from anybody that could be sitting upstream or in the middle of that connection. Um, and your, your infographic, you've got, I think, 35% currently of devices are sending all un unencrypted data? Yeah, if you look at the traffic that goes on an average device, and so we have a mobile app called Now Secure Protect. 
which um, I'm running. I loved it. I'll talk about it later, but that's great. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay, great. And, and so it's in the app and play store. And one of the things that it, that it does is it, it doesn't see inside the traffic because of the limitations of the mobile platform, but it can determine what types of connections you're sending them over. And so on average, we find, you know, a significant percentage of traffic on mobile phones is going over unencrypted networks. And that really puts individuals and enterprises at risk. I ran the app and I was a 96% once and 100% once. And I think that depended. I was on two different networks, uh, but I looked at the data on your website it, and the, the 100% is obviously good. The average over, I don't know how many tens of thousands of devices you looked at was only 69%. Yeah. So what we find is a lot of people connected in secure Wi-Fi. There are a lot of applications that send data um, over insecure networks. And um, a lot of folks actually don't use passcodes or don't update their mobile operating system to the latest version. And the combination of those things really impacts the, the security of your device, the security of your information. And so, um, you know, I kind of jokingly say um, every time we give somebody a score of 100, we lose a customer. There's, there's no, nothing out there is 100% secure. But the challenge that you face in mobile is that Apple and Google continue to restrict the what we call the APIs that give you access to device information. And they're doing it for really good reasons. They don't want malicious actors to have that information. But it's a, it's a challenging trend because if you think about computers, how do you defend them? Well, you monitor the key characteristics of the computer and you make good decisions about it. That's a really challenging thing and increasingly challenging thing to do on mobile. And so what we try to do is say, look, there are limitations and restrictions on mobile. What can we measure and what choices can an individual and an enterprise make um, to improve those things that we measure? And so we boil it down to a very simple principle. We call it the scan principle. So there's four areas that drive risk into your mobile phone. It's your system, your configuration, your apps, and your network. And so the application that you mentioned, Now Secure Protect, and the score that you got combines properties from those four domains and delivers a score to you in kind of con continual you know, analysis to, to provide that to you and ultimately to your company if, if you choose to share that information with them. So let's go just a little deeper, uh, and maybe it's beyond the scan piece. So what happens if an app you know, requests a user permission and the user not really paying attention and clicks the yes? Um, and I think what my, my point is, as we think about our thesis around security first, there, there, sometimes it's more than just tech. Uh, and this is maybe a little bit of social engineering. So what, what's your view of that? And, and how do you get enterprises to think about uh, protecting some of the things that happen in that case? Well, yeah, I think it's human nature to click uh, yes when you want something, right? There's the, you know, we've been trained to click yes. And so because of that, you know, it doesn't really matter in general what, what the permissions say. If somebody wants to use the app or feels they need to use the app, they're going to click yes. And so the key for the individual and, and ultimately, honestly, the enterprise, which is where we focus, is you have to have visibility. And in mobile, that's been challenging. It's largely been challenging because the security industry focused on the wrong problems. So what, we kind of, what we're at the point right now uh, is really just providing basic visibility into the things that impact security. So in the scenario that you talked about, what we can do for an enterprise is say, let me show you every application deployed in your enterprise and who has it on their phones that has access to your geolocation mm. or has access to your IMEI. And we can go further and say, and show me those that send that over an insecure connection. 
and you know, let's take it one step further. And let's say, let, let's say you're really concerned about intellectual property or financial. And so you care about data going to Russia or China or, or Eastern Europe and show me those that send this data to, to Eastern Europe. And so that kind of visibility gives the enterprise an enormous amount of power around, look, these are the things that drive risk into our mobile ecosystem. I can measure it and put a score on it and work the problem. And with good information about what the risks are, I can go address those. Because you can go back to somebody and say, like, look, I, I know you really need that taxi app, but let's use this other one because this other one's implemented securely and doesn't transmit all this data to these other places. And, and so that is the kind of visibility that enterprises are lacking and that we're, you know, one of the main things that we're solving here. You are listening to the Impact Podcast. We wanted to take a quick break to let you know that we have been creating the perfect consumable of tech nuggets. We call it Impact in Five. Please check it out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast for a little short attention span listening. Welcome back to our conversation with Andrew Hogue. We were talking about guiding a user to one app versus another because it was more secure. Let's stay on this topic of behavior of users and employees. You'll also probably help them guide some of their people, more than just the developers. You're going to help guide some of the training of people. And even if it's as simple as don't log on to your bank if you're sitting in Starbucks, for example. Yeah. So one of the things that we found is, is that you can, you know, instead of taking the, the previous semi-adversarial CIO role um, that I would say was, you know, the, the kind of what you did over the last couple of decades, um, with mobile, you can actually turn your employees into the front line of mobile security. And the way you do that is by giving them a health score on their device, a security score, essentially in real time. And what we've ended up finding is that people care deeply about the security of their device because they're not only doing work for the enterprise, but they're texting their friends or their spouse. They're doing banking. Um, they're, they're doing uh, checking up on their kids' grades, et cetera. So people care about the health of their device. And so what we've done is, is we've aligned the individual self-interest with the interest, of the, the interest of the enterprise. And it's a win-win. Everybody wants a secure device. And so we've tried to democratize mobile security by taking out all the special language and all the hard testing and basically saying like, hey, here's a score. Drop off that Wi-Fi network, upgrade your phone, put on a passcode and remove this app. And if you do those four things, your score is going to move from a 67 to a 93. And that's good for you and that's good for the enterprise. So the whole software development lifecycle, you guys are in the middle of that for sure. Yeah, that has been our big focus lately. So, you know, to do security testing, you basically have to be frictionless with the developers. The developers have tight timelines. Uh, they've got to get things out. And, you know, their, day, their job is to write code. It's, yes, we want that to be secure code, but everybody makes mistakes. And so after we, you know, started doing the services and the research, and then we built some software that helped security analysts vet apps, what we realized is we have to be embedded in the software development lifecycle. So our latest product, Lab Automated, integrates right into the SDLC through continuous integration tools. So what happens is every time a developer cuts a piece of code and pushes it to their you know, source control system, they can build the application and then automatically submit it to our automated system. Our system will then do static and dynamic analysis against the mobile app. Literally, it takes zero human intervention. And then return the results within five to 10 minutes back to the developer. And so what happens is they get immediate feedback on, on mistakes, which are the cheapest time to, to, to fix it. 
and the best way to kind of train somebody and help them become better developers. Um, and we can do this at scale in a very cost-effective way. Cool. So, you know, integrating into that SDLC is, is the future. It's, it's honestly, it's automate or die in the end is, is the way we view it. So let's, let's talk a little bit about kind of the future. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not that I'm not already in a panic and maybe losing sleep over all the current <laughs> activities that are going on here. Uh, you've referenced the Verizon data breach report. We look at that a lot as well. And, you know, the thought today where the data around, you know, malware on apps is still a really a low number, but, but our premise, and I think you'll agree is that there's a ticking time bomb in terms of not only just the explosion and more things happening on these devices, but you know, the opportunities for different elements of, or maybe new elements of risk to show up. So talk a little bit what, what your view is of instant apps, for example. So I think that the seminal event in mobile hasn't occurred yet per se. Everybody kind of is used to finding the, hey, this company got popped and it had 70 million records. And so it's this big thing that everybody can write a story about. And the nature of mobile is it's very, very distributed. So one thing that folks have to understand is, is that the types of things that we need to be worried about in, in, in a mobile scenario look different than they look on a, let's say, an attack against the SQL server or something along those lines. And so people need to begin to shift and think about what that risk looks like in the future. Clearly, you know, a piece of malware or a flaw in one of the large operating systems could result in, in either targeted or kind of mass compromise. And, you know, we found a flaw in, in Samsung phones that affected 600 million people, and many, many people today are still impacted by it. So these things kind of do happen. Wasn't that the element caused you, I don't know if this is something you want to talk about, that to switch from being an Android user to an iOS user? That is the event that caused me to switch. And, and I'm about to uh, go back to Nexus device. And so I think that people really have two choices. I mean, you have many choices, but from a security standpoint, you, you have to have an operating system that's updated often anytime there's a security flaw. And clearly you get that with iOS because they control the hardware and they control the software and the distribution of it. The only way you get that today in Android, and I know Google's working on this to make the ecosystem better with, with regards to fragmentation, but the only way you get that today in Android is with a Nexus device running Google's flavor of, of Android. Right, right. And what we have found is, is that at the core, the security and the velocity trajectory of security within Android, in my opinion, is better than iOS. And so um, long story short, yes, I switched off of a Samsung phone. My everyday carry phone is an iPhone right now, um, but I'm about to grab a Nexus 6 because frankly, I have to have, I'm sorry, a Nexus 5X because I have to have two phones anyway, and I need to be proficient in both systems. And I feel good about both of those phones. You know, as far as where the ecosystem is going, um, mobile, oper mobile vendors or mobile operating systems, so Apple and Google, they are going to continue to innovate. Instant apps is just the next version of it, right? And, and they're continuing to kind of push this model. I'm not a big fan of the instant apps setup because I think that what has ended up happening is, is that more things are happening on the device with less user interaction. Ultimately, certain kinds of data are still leaking out. And so it seems to me that it kind of gives you less of a choice. Now, is that going to be the case in the future? I can't really say. You know, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but in the end, the constant in this industry is innovation. And honestly, it, it's on like a quarterly or half a year basis. And so um, I think that one of the most important things is that companies have to either directly invest themselves or find partners 
who are focused on mobile security. What about trust, though, in terms of, I'm, I'm thinking about this, this instant app thing. I trust an app today, in theory. I, you want me to go to the, the App Store and the Google Play, and I trust that app. And that's the app that initiates the download of, of an instant app. It's not that I'm doing it kind of willy-nilly. So is, isn't that an element of making people more comfortable with instant apps? And, and yet, I'm sure you're a little more uncomfortable with that. Yeah, I think in the end, you know, with, with, with let's say one application saying like, hey, I need this part of another app. So let me go grab that and just do that right now. What ends up happening is, is that some, something changed behind the scenes. There, there was a passing of the baton. And when you talk about that passing of the baton, you have to, in my mind, as a security guy, worry about, well, where did it get passed to? Where's that data going? How, how secure is it? Who wrote it? How often is it updated? And, you know, for me, that's where I feel like things become far less murky. Like today, you know, I, I don't feel that the app model is that clunky, but maybe we need this kind of, you know, reboot or innovation. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, for me, trust is going to end up boiling down to, well, who wrote this? Is it secure? And where's my data going? And when that happens with a little, with less control, and less visibility for me, no, I, I don't feel better about it. Um, but again, I, you know, I'm less than 1%, right? So the, the market is going to dictate this. Consumers are going to dictate whether they like this and the security industry will adapt because we're going to continue to vet those apps. And so we'll find ways um, to drive visibility to that. Let's go down another path then. So one thing that has been somewhat of a kind of a bit of a saving grace has been kind of wrapped around two-factor authentication. And we've been digging into that and looking at it. So, you know, we we kind of have a requirement that all of our systems that we're using internally at work here are, you know, using at least two-factor. But if it comes to you via SMS and you're going to go back to your laptop and key in the code and perhaps your laptop browser has been compromised... It, it feels like we haven't really done enough. Uh, maybe we should be requiring, you know, mandating a second channel that you've got to respond on a second communications channel than the same one. So I feel like we're getting people maybe more comfortable, and yet we really haven't solved problems yet either. I'm, I'm still nervous about that. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. Um, I think that we have solved problems. And, and so you actually talked about two separate channels there, right? So you've got your laptop and you've got your phone. Those mm-hmm. are two distinct channels. And, you know, even though the security industry talks about compromise a lot and we demonstrate things and it, it is quite possible, it's not easy. I mean, when I go up and do a demo at a conference, you know, 90% of the time it goes well and 10% of the time things go sideways. And that's <laughs> a demo that I know incredibly well on devices and on networks that I control. So in the scenario that you mentioned, John, you know, there are, there are two distinct channels there. Now, if, if you say, but this thing's been compromised, unfortunately, that's, that's almost game over, right? Because if something's been compromised, so you, you kind of have a problem. If they've compromised your browser, you do two-factor off, and then you authorize that browser, uh, the, the, the attacker doesn't even care about two-factor auth. You're yeah, going to already dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that problem still exists. But I, I think that two-factor auth is a significant step forward. I think that the password complexity and frequency of changing passwords and the number of sites that we have passwords on has caused people to take, to, to, has not helped. 
And you can actually have, I'll be a little controversial here, a little less quote unquote secure password and combine that with a two-factor off. And in my opinion, be far more secure than a 24 alphanumeric password for a website. Now, I mean, 24 digits, don't get me wrong. That, that, that's good. But um, I think that second factor of off adds an enormous amount of complexity for an attacker um, to, to get around. And so and you're less worried though about using the second channel as the reply for the authentication because uh, what you're saying is once they've hacked one of your devices, you're sort of toast. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, so if, if they wanted to take your username and password, go use it on their system, it's going to require that second factor of auth and they're not going to have it. And so then they're going to be stuck. And so they got to say like, well, now I got to go pop John's phone as well intercept that SMS, et cetera. So it, it, it adds a lot of complexity for them. Now, if they're on your computer and they've compromised it, and then you authorize your banking app, you, you authorize your email app, um, and they're on your browser, they're on your computer, they're already in. And so at that point, it is kind of game, you know, game over because they can just ride on top of your authentication. Can they also though, so if I'm getting an SMS, but I'm running on a Mac, they're going to look at my iMessage or message app that could get the code that way as well. I feel like there's still, I, you're probably right. I'm just, I'm just sort of challenging. I feel like there's still elements where more needs to be done because they can pick up that code right off my iMessage. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's always more stuff to be done. I mean, the thing about iMessage or a really great app called Signal is that they're using encryption, not only encryption at transit, but they're using a technology called perfect forward secrecy. It's not that easy to just go pick that thing up. So for somebody to be able to, you know, pop something out of iMessage um, or out of Signal, I mean, there's a significant level of, of compromise on the device they must have. And, you know, once they've done that, there's so many other things they can do. And so, you know, the question is, is are they going to go after that auth token? Well, you know what? If that gets you in a bank account and they can transfer 10 grand or whatever, sure, they'll go after that. But if you put that basic hygiene in place, and now I'm going to switch to mobile because, you know, there's a lot of people that focus on computers and that's not where we focus. So if you have a, a now secure protect score that's in the high 90s, you've got an operating system that's patched. You've got passcodes on there. You've got encryption enabled. You don't have apps that are, um, have security flaws in there that could allow somebody to get remote code execution on your phone. You're in pretty good shape. I mean, this is a, this is a pretty solid technology, you know, and it's got some pretty amazing security features in it. And so long story short, for the last six years, I didn't use mobile banking apps. And starting this year, I use mobile banking apps all the time. And that's an industry that's invested heavily in mobile security. They're early adopters for us. And I feel confident enough to access, you know, my, my financial information. In fact, I feel better about it on mobile than I do on a PC, to be honest. That's, that's a pretty good vote of confidence. So let me go down one more path with you. Uh, I found last March, there was a piece in apps themselves were being hijacked on Australian banking apps. And they were actually able to get some malware on the phone. Looks like they were... Adobe uh, pretending to be or masquerading as Adobe Flash Player. And then they were laying on new interfaces just looking like an app. It's almost like when you see a really good phishing attack and it looks yep. exactly like the, the, the website. And it looked like that's happening now on the apps. So there's a kind of another future path of more issues coming down the pike. What's your view of how that can be protected? Well, I, yeah, I think the, the, attacks that, the attacks out there are always interesting and new and novel, right? I mean, there's a lot of rinse and repeat, but the new ones, when they come up, you're like, wow, that was really clever. But the key to everything that you just said was they convinced the user to install an application 
you know, masquerading as Adobe Flash Player or whatever, you know, that, that ultimately was malicious and probably did not come in from the App and Play Store. I, I think I saw that article. I, I can't remember. It was. You're right. It was a third-party store. Yeah. Right. And so what happens is, you know, here's an application that, you know, if, if we had scanned the application, we probably would have flagged certain problems with it. We would immediately have dropped your score. And if you're not installing from, you know, a third-party market, you're in pretty good shape. Things will still happen. It's certainly possible. But, but Apple and Google are incredibly incentivized from an economic perspective to make sure that they don't have malware on their stores. Um, and so you're going to get the full weight of those organizations in, in the whole industry um, solving those kinds of problems. So, you know, it's follow the basic hygiene stuff and download and install our apps that you can get a sense for how you're doing. So let me go, let's step up, talk about the CEOs and kind of the C-suite. Uh, it's an old story, but I still love it. And it was the, when the new CEO of Alcoa came in and Alcoa had one of the worst safety records in the industry. People were, there were workers losing their lives. He decided that safety was going to be a priority. Every meeting he talked about safety. How often should a CEO be talking about security? Should he be delegating it? He or she be delegated to a CTO, VP of engineering? Or is this something that needs to be uh, elevated, particularly with the elements of social engineering and the like? What, what do you think a CEO should be doing about security? Yeah. So I think one of the things, of course, is, is you have to live by example, right? So you, you got to go out there and, and not only talk about it, but you have to go live it. You have to go be the example. And that that's really important. You know, CEOs, whether they're small companies, especially at large companies, have a million things coming at them. And you certainly have to work with you know your team and trust your team to go execute on those things. What I can tell you is, is that for us, security permeates every every minute of the day for us because it's it's the core focus of the company um but i do a weekly address to the company uh, ask me anything every friday and on every friday we talk about security at the start and you know these are covering things like here's the latest phishing attacks here's some 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 new exploits that came out have you updated again a lot of it comes back to the basic blocking and tackling I do ultimately think that security and privacy have to be baked into the DNA of a company. And, you know, at a small company, you can do that pretty, pretty quickly by having talking about it and, and kind of trying to form things on that basis, integrating it into your dev life cycle at large companies. It takes a lot longer. And so you need to see it from the CEO. You need to see it from the execs. You need to see it built all the way into, you know, security by design. Uh, for example, all the way into your architecture and your SDLC and your your company meetings, and so I think it's increasingly going to be going to become incredibly important because so much of our lives and our enterprises have moved into digital, have moved into cloud, have moved into mobile, and we we have to have security in place to protect ourselves. And on the HR side of things, because you mentioned that uh, right or wrong, you hired someone that was a felon that maybe you didn't want in your company. Uh, how about those sets of processes and procedures? We move kind of away from the technology. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it permeates everywhere. And, and just to be clear, that was at my previous company, so I don't right, want to right. Right. <laughs> that, uh, I've, I've, I've hired somebody with a felony record at, at now Skier. So, But that was at my previous company, and there was clearly a breakdown uh, because in an HR system, they, you know, the guy flagged it and said, yeah, I'm a felon. And, and it never made it to me as a hiring manager. So, um, you know, everything starts with people, John, right? So you, you've got to have people with integrity. And that, that comes back to the core of, of who your company is and, and what, what are your principles and what are you based on? And so I think if you, if you form a company on that basis, um, it's naturally, you know, going to infuse into the rest of the organization, including who you choose to hire and and what does your hiring process look like, et cetera? Companies, 
for the most part, as you sell to these enterprises, do you, what, what do you feel like they're still doing wrong? Is it uh, both on the technology side, HR side? I look across all the legs of the stool of a security first strategy. Uh, what, is the, what would be the tarp, top three things the CEO should be kind of going after first? Well, let me start out on, on the, just the mobile side because it's near yeah. and dear to my heart. When uh, What we typically see from companies that are just starting to dip their toes into mobile security is that they wait to test the app to until basically the last minute when they're ready to go live or whatever. And, you know, marketing department, sales department, the strategy of the company is behind it. And it becomes really, really hard to pull back. And so one of the big mistakes we see companies make is not testing their mobile app early and often. And frankly, just integrating it right into that SDLC. So you have to design security in from the get-go, and you've got to be testing things. And that's where automation becomes so critical. So that, that's really a big focus where I think um, most companies can improve um, and really need to do that. As far as kind of some of the other things I guess companies are doing wrong, I mean, I, I think one of the big challenges that we face in this industry is, is that when somebody finds a security flaw, the disclosure process is pretty painful. I mean, we've found an enormous number of flaws. We've disclosed to them. We have a responsible disclosure policy. And the vast majority of companies either ignore us or become very confrontational. And in the end, it, think about this. You know, put, if you put on your CEO hat, somebody just found a flaw in, your, in the security of your applications. It's going to eventually bite you, right? Because a bad guy is going to find it and exploit it or some irresponsible person is going to go you know, uh, broadcast it to the world. And it costs you $0. You didn't have to go out there and find somebody to go maybe you know, be, bang on the system and find something. Like somebody's walking in the door and saying, here's a problem. And I think the default stance ought to be like, wow, great. Thank you. You know what? I'm going to send this off to my team. We're going to take a look at it. We're going to have some good communication going between the companies. And uh, we really appreciate it. And in the case for us, we don't do bounties. We don't get, you know, we don't ask for money. We don't get any money. You know, we're going out there and basically saying, we got to have a secure mobile ecosystem. We find a lot of flaws in apps and um, we disclose them to people. And in general, it, it doesn't go very well. And I think that's something that companies have to come to terms with. And you're starting to see a market drive out of this with the bug bounty companies like Bug Crowd. Hacker One. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so this is something that has to change about how enterprises are thinking about security. One last question as we go. You've got all this data that you've collected. Do you see a role at this point uh, for machine learning, uh, kind of looking for patterns and, and elements? Are you still at, the, at a different level in terms of what you're looking at? No, absolutely. We see it headed that way. And so we did some interesting analysis a few months ago. And we said, all right, given the track record of a, a developer, how accurately could we predict security of their next application. And it was really fascinating work because we went out there and we took a look at developers that had enough work out there that we could go and do some analysis on it. And, you know, this was done out of our, you know, data, data scientist team. So um, I, don't, I don't have the particulars of the algorithms or how they applied it, but we got a very, very high correlation between basically the data we had and then predicting the security of future apps. And so you know, the way we did that was, all right, here's a set of apps. Let's feed that into the system. Here's the problem, here's the security attributes, et cetera. Now, let's go take an app that we haven't scanned and predict how many security flaws we'll find and what they'll be. And we had an incredible amount of accuracy there. So that's just kind of anecdotal, but I think there's a tremendous need for uh, data analytics in this space. And you know, some of it could just be coming back to the enterprise and saying like, all right, because you're doing automated scans across all your apps and all your dev teams, let's come back and let you know 
what are the teams that have the biggest problems? What are the areas that you need to focus on the most? Um, how quickly does it take you to find a bug? Do you patch a bug or security flaw and then it pops back up six months later? And you can begin to become much more thoughtful as an enterprise about how you're doing on security and become proactive. Well, let's set up these trainings. Let's put in this additional safety net over here. You know, let's go talk to this team. And so there's an enormous amount of, of opportunity there, John. And, and uh, I think, again, you know, the industry focused on the wrong problems. Now that at least us and, you know, uh, I think, is, you know, and for us, we've always been focused, I think, in, in the right area. But, you know, other folks will probably jump on the bandwagon. But now that we're shifting away from the MDM, antivirus, try to put a firewall around it and back all your traffic, there's a real opportunity to, to meaningfully improve the security of the mobile ecosystem. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to end it. You talked about analytics, where the futures are going. This was just a fantastic dialogue. I, I thank you so much for your time, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been great talking to you too, John. 